If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I believe it's page 1056 if you're using one of the Bibles uh, in the rack in front of you. It was in October of 1915 at the Arch Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia uh, that Clarence McCartney uh, preached a message on 2 Timothy chapter 4 entitled it, Come Before Winter. Uh, the Lord used that message in just profound ways uh, there in his church and even in the larger city of Philadelphia. And so the next year, uh, the last Sunday of November, uh, Clarence McCartney decided just to preach it again. And he preached the very same message word for word. And God used it in a profound way again. And so the next year, <laughs> he preached it again and again and again, 40 years in a row. Uh, no changes, same message, word for word, and God used it every single year for 40 years. And then after uh, McCartney passed away in 1957, uh, then right here in Texas, uh, First Baptist Dallas, W.A. Criswell, uh, decided to pick up the, uh, the mantle and he preached the message. Not the exact message, but almost the exact message and certainly the same outline. And so on November the 30th, 1958, it moved from, uh, from Pennsylvania to Dallas. And since then, uh, many pastors across the nation and around the world have preached a message, uh, some every year with the same title, Come Before Winter. And while most have preached their own message or their own version of that message, it really has the same theme as the message that Clarence McCartney preached uh, some uh, uh, some 75, 80 years ago now. And so last year, uh, I prayed and studied and felt like uh, that I should do that. And so on this Sunday, a year ago, I preached a message, Come Before Winter. And I don't know if we'll do this every year, uh, but I feel like this year, uh, this certainly is a reminder that deserves to be heard once a year. And so I want to preach a little different message than what we heard last year, but I want to preach again a message from this passage of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, come before winter. And so it's a simple concept, it's a simple message if you look to 2 Timothy 4, knowing that this is the last letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church, at least the last letter that we have before he was executed. And he knew that he was about to be executed when he wrote this letter. He knew that this was the end. And so he wrote these words, the last chapter of the last letter that Paul wrote. Let's read in verse six. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. The departure from life to death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. And so Paul writes this letter uh, probably around 64 AD. Uh, he was in prison, we believe, from 60 to 64 AD, in prison there in Rome. And so he writes this letter into 64. It was in July of 64, we believe, that Paul was executed because of his faith. His head was chopped off, and he paid the ultimate price. But you can hear, just in these few verses that we read, the finality in his voice. He knew that the end was coming. He says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. It is 
as if there's just a few more drops of the offering, the drink offering that is my life, and then it's over. Uh, But he says here, as we continue to read, that he has one last request. He he knows that this is the end, but he says, one last request I have. Look at verse 9. He says to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. And then he gives some commentary. He says, because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with uh, Carpus, as well as the scrolls and especially the parchment. So here are the instructions that he gives to Timothy. Timothy, I want you to come to me, and it's an urgent matter. Come quickly and see me and bring four things when you come. Number one, bring Mark. Now Mark is uh, Mark, the gospel of Mark, a disciple, an apostle. Uh, It's interesting here that he mentions Mark because Paul and Mark really had a falling out a few years before this. And, and Paul was very disappointed in, in Mark's behavior and, and in how Mark carried on his ministry. And there was a great division. But we see here now when we look at the end of Paul's life that he has made amends with Mark. He has worked out the relationship. That is the sign of a godly man or a godly woman that we don't allow broken relationships to stay broken. So here at the end of his life, we see that he and Mark uh, have, uh, have come back together. He says Mark would be useful to me in my ministry. He also asks for his cloak. He's cold and he, he needs something to stay warm. He asks for his parchments and his scrolls. Uh, they didn't have books in those days, so this is the closest thing we have to a book. And he asks Timothy to bring his books, so to speak. It's interesting that Paul, even at the end of his life, was still a student of scripture. He never lost his curiosity. These probably were books uh, about the Old Testament uh, that talked about interpretations of the Old Testament. And so right up to the end, Paul continued to study and dig and learn more about about God's word. And that's, that's impressive. And then he says, lastly, Timothy, bring yourself. Timothy was Paul's best friend. Uh, He was Paul's protege. Paul had led Timothy to Christ and looked forward to Timothy uh, really following in his footsteps. And in fact, Timothy was pastoring a church uh, at the time, the church of Ephesus that Paul uh, had been instrumental in. And so that's the request. Now, if we skip down to verse 21, we see just a little bit more of this request. He says, make every effort to come before winter. Now you notice that the first few words of verse 21 match the first few words of verse 9 because it's an amplification of this. Verse 9 says, make every effort to come quickly. And then verse 21 says, make every effort to come before winter. So the first one tells us that there's some urgency. You need to come as quickly as you can. Verse 21 tells us even more. Not only is there urgency, there is an expiration date. I don't just need you to come sooner rather than later. I do need you to come soon. And you must come before winter. There is great urgency here. 
And I want us to take a minute and just, and just look at this urgency. I think this is the most important part of 2 Timothy chapter 4, just this urgency that Paul uh, has for Timothy to come. And let me give you three reasons why it was very urgent. Number one, the brevity of life. Paul knew that his life was likely to come to a quick end. Uh, Paul knew that he was likely to be executed for his faith. That's why he was in prison. Others had been executed. He knew that he was next. He knew that every time he had a meal, it might be his last meal. Every time he heard the door of the dungeon open, he knew it could be his executioners coming to get him. He knew that every time he saw the sun set, that he might not ever see it set again. He knew that his days were numbered. He says this is urgent, Timothy, because of the brevity of life. You can see he really writes his own obituary. Back in verses 6 and 7 and 8, we read that a moment ago. Paul's at the end, and he knows he's at the end. Friends, we need to understand that our life should have the same urgency. Paul knew his life was brief. You and I need to know that our lives are brief. None of us know what's going to happen this afternoon or tomorrow or a year from now. Our lives are brief and they can end at any moment. And we need to have some appreciation of just how brief life is. We need to understand that we can't count on days that we've not lived because those days are not promised to us. Our lives could end at any moment. James chapter 4, uh, the half-brother of Jesus writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year and do business and make a profit. He says, you make all of these plans, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes. See, Paul understood how brief his life was. We need to understand that our lives are brief as well. I know it was just this last weekend, a 53-year-old lady here in Nacogdoches uh, died in an automobile accident. I saw that in the newspaper. Uh, our lives, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Life is brief. But listen, even if you were to live, and I hope you do, and I hope I do, but even if you were to live to a ripe old age, listen to me, life is still brief. I think sometimes we think that, or we at least act like we think that we will live forever. But the truth is, even if you live to a, to a very large number of years, high number of years, life is still brief. And the way life goes is, is, is that the longer you live, the faster the clock turns. Have you noticed that? Are you old enough to notice that? The faster that calendar turns, the older you get, the faster it goes. I'm 50 years old. I didn't think 10 years ago that that was true. I thought when you got old, you just lost your hair and you lied. I thought that's just what old people did. But I'm old now, and so I've recognized that life goes fast and fast and fast. And some of you will tell me when this sermon is over, Pastor, you don't know yet how fast it goes. Our lives have stages. We start life believing in Santa Claus. And then we go to a stage uh, where that belief is curtailed. Then we get to the third stage and we are Santa Claus. And then we get to the fourth stage and we look like Santa Claus. <laughs> but life just marches on. Life is brief. Let me, and I know this will, 
not be the funnest uh, illustration, if I can use some bad grammar there, but uh, I, I did this last year, and I, I think the Lord might use this to just impress something on your heart. I did some math, and I compared life to an 18-hour day. So if you were to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to bed at midnight, I googled the average lifespan in America at 78 years. Now some of you, you're, you're way past that, and I hope you all go way past that, but on an average, 78 years. So I compared an 18-hour day to a 78-year life. Does that make sense? So let me tell you what time it is for you. If you're 25 years old, it's 11.46 in the morning. All right? Just let that sink in. It's lunchtime. If you're uh, 45 years old, it's 4.23 p.m. If you're 55, it's 6.42. If you're 65, it's 9 o'clock. And if you're 75, it's 11.18 p.m. So happy holidays, right? <laughs> Doesn't that just cheer you up? Let, let, let me give you another comparison. I, I, I enjoyed my math so much, I decided to compare a 78-year lifespan with a calendar, you know, January to December 31st. Uh, so, so if we were to compare it to a calendar, what's the date? Well, if you're 30 years old, it's May 20th. If you're 40, it's July the 6th. If you're 50, it's August 22nd. If you're 60, it's October 8th. If you're 70, it's November 24th. It's just, see, we need to understand that life is brief. Whether you live a few years or a large number of years, life goes faster and faster. We don't need to live like life's gonna go on forever. Not this earthly life. Life is brief. Paul says, Timothy, I'm about to die. You need to come quickly. But there's another reason why there was such urgency, not just the brevity of life, but also the brevity of opportunity. The brevity of opportunity. Because he says in verse 21, you need to come before winter. Well, what's the significance of that? Why did Paul, why did Timothy rather need to come before winter? Well, uh, winter was the storm season, is the storm season in the Mediterranean Sea. And so you've got the cold winds coming down from uh, Europe, and you've got the warm winds coming up from Africa, and those winds connect there over the Mediterranean Sea. And even to this day, uh, ships in the sea can be surprised by the terrible overnight storms that will develop. And so in, in Paul's day, you just didn't sail during the winter. Because it was a very dangerous thing. In fact, Paul was experienced with that danger. Paul one time was on a ship in the Mediterranean in the winter, and a storm came and the ship wrecked, and he almost died. And so generally, you just didn't sail during the winter. There was no other practical way to get from where Timothy was in Ephesus uh, to where Paul was in Rome from 1,200 miles. The only hope was to get on a ship. And so Paul says, if you're going to come, Timothy, you must come before winter because once winter comes, the ships will stop sailing and you will not be able to come. There is a brief opportunity for you to respond to this. And once the opportunity is gone, Timothy, then the opportunity is gone. You know, you and I need to understand that in our lives, sometimes opportunities are brief. 
Sometimes God gives us an opportunity to fix a relationship. God gives us an opportunity to make a spiritual decision. God gives us an opportunity to serve in such a way or to talk to somebody about our faith. And those opportunities, as wonderful as they are, may be very brief. And we may have an opportunity today that we will not have a month from now or a year from now. And if we don't take advantage of the opportunity now, it may, it may quickly be gone. Uh, I, I read a, a story about some, I guess, farmers in, in Scotland. I guess you would call them farmers uh, years ago that had the practice of collecting uh, the eggs, very valuable eggs of these seabirds that would uh, make these nests in crevices in these cliffs uh, there, there in the ocean. And so uh, because of the erosion of the water and the air through the years, these cliffs didn't just go straight down, but they would go down and under. And so when these men would try to get those eggs out of those crevices and those nests built in those crevices, they would tie a rope at the top and they would go down, and sometimes these cliffs were 200, 300 feet high, so they would swing down about 100 feet, and then they would just start swinging from side to side and in and out until they could get into one of these crevices and they could harvest the eggs. And so one farmer tells the story of getting in there, and, and he's, uh, he's found some eggs, so he's putting them in his satchel, he's holding on, and it was very hard to hold on there. I mean, these weren't like caves you could walk into, they were just crevices. So he's holding on the best he could, and he was harvesting the eggs, and he let go of the rope. And so the rope, he watched it as it swung way out, and then it started to swing back. And so he reached out as far as he could. He couldn't, he couldn't reach far because uh, he, he, would, he would fall. But he reached out as far as he could and tried to catch the rope when it came back. And, but it was just inches from his hand. And he missed it. And so he watched it swing out again. And it started to swing back. And he did some quick calculation. And he recognized, he knew that every time it would swing back in, it wouldn't swing quite as far as it did last time. And he knew that this, he had one chance to jump out and catch that rope. If he didn't jump now, he would be stuck here until he fell to his death. You see, sometimes our opportunities are limited. Sometimes opportunities are brief. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to come before winter. That's the only hope. There's the brevity of life, but the brevity of opportunity. But then the third thing I want you to see is the, is the disposition of our hearts. Now, th this isn't so true of Paul and Timothy's situation, but I, I want you to understand that it is very true of our situations. So sometimes when God convicts us about making a decision, when God puts it on our heart, when we get right to the edge of making a decision, what we've got to know is that if we give that more time, then the passion, the conviction will fade in our lives. That, that that conviction, that resolve that I need to do something about something, that resolve will fade if we don't act on it. 
And we see this a number of places in scripture. The best place is to see it in a parable that Jesus told. Mark chapter four, just listen to a couple of verses. Mark said, or Jesus said, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. He's talking about the seed of God's word sometime falls on the path, falls on our hearts, but we don't immediately respond to it. And he says, the birds come and eat it up. And then a dozen verses later, he explains it. He says, some are like the word sown on the path. And when they hear, <coughs> immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Here's what happens. God, through his Holy Spirit and through his word, will bring conviction, will bring us right to the point where we know we need to make a decision about something. But if we don't respond, the Bible says that Satan will take that conviction away and he'll just be gone. We, many people don't make the decisions they should make, not because they cannot make it tomorrow, but because they have no desire to make it tomorrow. I cannot tell you how many times as pastor, as a pastor, I've seen people who have been this close to a life-changing decision or commitment, but they decided to handle it tomorrow or a week from now or a month from now, and they never thought about it again. You see, one of the reasons why we should have some urgency is because of the disposition of our hearts, because conviction will fade if we don't respond quickly. I was reading uh, Clarence McCartney, who originally preached this message. Uh, he, here, here's how he talked about our, our hearts. Uh, let me just read. He says, before winter or never, there are some things which will never be done unless they are done before winter. The winter will come and the winter will pass and the flowers of the springtime will deck the breast of the earth and the graves of some of our opportunities. Perhaps the grave of our dearest friend there are golden gates wide open on this autumn day, but next October, he preached it in October, but next October they will be shut forever. There are tides of opportunity running now at the flood, and next October they will be at the ebb. There are voices speaking today which a year from today will be silent. You must come before winter or never. And so what are some areas where we need to heed this call of urgency what are some areas where we need to come before winter? Well, I want to share four of those with you. Last year I shared three. This year is four. It's, it's different four. Three of the four are different. But let me share. I've, I've, <coughs> I've prayed as your pastor, and, and I just feel like uh, from Scripture, there, there are four areas that we need to be reminded of today that we should come before winter. So number one, we need to come before winter uh, in the area of seizing opportunities. We need to come before winter in the area of seizing opportunities. Now, there's a passage, Ephesians chapter 5, and I, I think I gave this to uh, Jonathan for the screens. Yes, good, thanks. Uh, look, look at this verse. It's, it's an interesting verse. Paul says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, we're just going to look at that verse for a moment. Paul says that we need to be wise. Be careful with how you live. Live wisely. Well, we know that, of course, right? Everybody should live as a wise person, not a fool. But what is the difference between a wise person and a fool? What does he mean when he says live wisely? Well, the next verse tells us. Show us that next verse. 
He says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. He says, a wise person is someone who knows the clock is ticking. A wise person is someone who knows that we're not going to live forever and that opportunities pass and our heart changes. A wise person knows the clock is ticking. A foolish person thinks there's plenty of time. That's the difference between a wise person and a foolish person is a wise person knows that time is short and acts on it. But a foolish person postpones. A foolish person procrastinates. Um, There is a a book by Florence uh, Littower uh, called Silver Boxes. I'm sure some of you have have read that book. She's a Christian writer, uh, writes a lot of different kinds of books. I'm I'm not really recommending them, but, uh, but, but they're interesting books. And so she writes in this, uh, this book, Silver Boxes, about her mother-in-law. Uh, her mother-in-law uh, was older and she was suffering with some dementia. And so they had to put her in a, in a nursing facility, a facility especially for people who were suffering with memory issues. And one of the very interesting things that happened is that as soon as they put her in this facility, she started gathering around her uh, other patients, other residents, and she began to put on concerts for them. She'd stand up in a chair and just put on a concert. And uh, Florence writes that they never knew, the family never knew that she even enjoyed singing. They'd never heard her sing. And now several times a day, she's putting on these concerts. And what was even more interesting is that she was singing opera. And they they never knew she even had an interest in opera, but she was singing it from memory. She had memorized these, uh, um, these, I don't even know the words for an opera song, but uh, uh, she she had memorized these and she stood up and she would, uh, she would sing them and and they said, and she was pretty good at it. I mean, she, she had an older voice and it wouldn't have been the same as when she was younger, but they said there was some real talent there. And so she She put on concerts, opera concerts, uh, several times a day the last year of her life, and then she died. And uh, Florence Litauer said, uh, the sad thing is this, that her her mother-in-law had a gift uh, that she never used. She had a talent that she had never developed. And as she writes in the book, she says that my mother-in-law died with a song still in her. And I thought, how many of us, because we have failed to seize the opportunity, are going to die with a song still in us? A challenge that we've never taken, a ministry that we've never started, a conversation that we've never had, a book that we've never written, a dream that we've never pursued, a song that we have never sung. You know, this life is not a dress rehearsal. God has given us one life to serve him in this way, in this world, for his glory and honor. We need to seize the opportunity. We don't need to die with a song in our hearts. You know, all the experts say that when people come to the end of life, that their greatest regrets are not the things that they have failed at, but their greatest regrets are the things that they never attempted when somebody comes to the end of life, generally their, their regret is not that I did this and I failed at that. Now certainly there are things that you can do that you will regret for the rest of your life. But generally, the greatest regrets are not the ways that people have failed. The, the greatest regrets people have is that they've not done the things that, 
that they felt like God had set them up to do. We need to come before winter in the area of seizing opportunities. If God has put something on your heart, do it and do it now. What are we waiting on? Oh, we often think that life will be easier in a year, that I won't be as busy in a year, that I'll have more money in five years. But let me tell you, that's just not true. I've talked to retired people in our church, and, and I'm, just, I'm just amazed at this. And, and, and many of you are retired, so you can nod along with me here. I, I talk to retired people in our church, and I say, well, well tell me, how, how's your week? And you know what they'll say? They'll say the same thing that 50-year-old people say. And they'll say the same thing that 30-year-old people will say. They'll say, it was an incredibly busy week. And I think, well, how could it be busy? What in the world are you doing all day? You know, everybody in the world thinks that they're at the busiest spot in their life. And the lesson you learn from that is it's not going to get any easier. If you're waiting for some easy days to do what you know God has called you to do, then you're, you're failing. Come before winter. Now's the time. Seize the opportunity that God has put before you. And so the first area that we need to come before winter is just that, seize Opportunities. Number two, we need to come before winter in the area of sharing the good news. When, when the Bible talks about the importance of us sharing our faith, telling people how they can have a relationship with Christ, it always speaks of it with great urgency. But listen to what Jesus said, John 4, 35. Do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Look at this verse with me on the screen. Jesus gives us some urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. You see four things very quickly in there. First of all, he says there's no delay. Do you see it right there in that verse? Don't say that there are still four months. Don't delay. You need to share the gospel now. The second thing he says is that God has been working in the lives of the people around you. He says here, look, look, lift up your eyes. Did you know that God has been working in the lives of the people all around you to prepare them to hear the gospel and to respond to Jesus Christ. And then he says, the harvest is ready. See, the fields are white unto harvest. There are people you know that are ready to respond. They're ready. God's been working. God's been, been, been tending the uh, nurturing the, the crop. And so that they're ready. And then he says that there's an expiration. He, he's, <coughs> he compares these people who, who, who are ready to receive the gospel to, uh, to, to a harvest. He, he could say, go and mine the gold ore out of the ground. But, but how would that be different? Well, if you don't mine gold ore out of the ground today, it'll still be there tomorrow, right? But if you've got a crop that's ready to be harvested, then it's time sensitive. You must do it now. We need to come before winter in the area of sharing the gospel. Did you know that God is in charge of the list of people that you are connected with? If I were to ask you to pull out a piece of paper and write down the names of 25 people who are not in our church, 25 people that you're connected with that are not in our church, the people you would put on that list, God put those people on that list. 
The people you work with, God chose who you would work with. The people you go to school with, God chose who you would go to school with. God choose, chose who you'd be next to in English class. God chose who you would live uh, in a dorm room with or an apartment with. God, God chose the people around you, who you would live next to. And God has been, has been preparing them so that you could share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they are, the Bible says, ripe unto harvest. We, we need to quit saying that we're going to do this later. I was so encouraged uh, to, to, to hear, hear the story before the baptism uh, 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 as she shared uh, that, that I had a friend who just spoke some tough words to me and said, you know what to do and you need to do it. And she said she needed that push. She needed that nudge. See, we need to come before winter in the area of sharing the good news. Number three, very quickly, we need to come before winter in the area of mending relationships. Have you ever been out in the country? I'm, I'm sure you've seen this. I'm trying to think of an, of an example here since I've been in Texas. And nothing comes to mind, but I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about. You, you go out and you see some uh, country house uh, where they've got several old cars uh, just littering the property. You know what I'm talking about? Some of them are up on blocks. And they all have grass growing around them. And it looks like maybe there's grass growing inside of them. Maybe they're, they're just, they've been there for years. And, and you know, when they, when they pulled that pickup truck into their front yard 15 years ago, they, they didn't plan on it sitting there for 15 years. They planned to do something about it. They just didn't. And now their yard is just littered with this junk uh, that will never be cleaned up. And some of us, when we look at the relationships in our lives, we see a lot of broken down cars. I mean, we, we see a lot of relationships that through the years have, have gone to the place of disrepair and we've just, we've just left them there. Friends, as Christians, we must not have broken relationships that we have not sought uh, to find peace uh, we need to come before winter in the areas of the relationships around us. Uh, let me give you two categories of relationships that we need to pay close attention to this morning. The first is broken relationships, broken relationships. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. So if there's somebody that you're not at peace with, you, you need to make that a priority. You say, well, they're the ones that did something wrong. Well, who cares if they're the ones that did something wrong? You're the one who is a child of God. You're the one who has received forgiveness, though you are the one who sinned. But God has already sort of set the precedent in this. And it doesn't matter who did who wrong. You need to go, and as much as it depends upon you, you need to make peace. I remember a few years ago, several years ago, I was doing a funeral in Ohio, and um, a man in our church, his wife had passed away. His name was, was Wade. Uh, he's since passed away. Uh, but at the time, uh, I was, of course, very sad. And I was visiting in the, in the funeral home. And, and I knew Wade pretty well. And I knew his, uh, his deceased wife pretty well. And so we were talking. And I was trying to encourage him. And then I noticed that there was a whole other part of the family. There was one group of family. And then on the other end of the room, there was another group of family. And I said, well, who, who is that? And I pointed to 
uh, somebody who sort of seemed to be the center of the other group. And he said, well, that is my brother. And I said, well, I didn't even know you had a brother. I don't think I've ever met him. Would you introduce me to, to your brother? I'd like to meet him. And he said, oh, no, pastor, I couldn't do that. He said, I haven't spoken to my brother in 30 years. And I thought, how sad. What a shame that we could have relationships so broken that we haven't spoken in 30 years. And I know as I share that story that it's not that uncommon. Now, I don't know what Wade did to his brother or what his brother did to him. I don't know who started it. I don't know what was said. I don't know what made it so bad, but I know this. Wade needed to go talk to his brother and he needed to do it then. And to his credit, he did before the day was over. We did it together. We need to come before winter in the area of broken relationships because God has forgiven us even though we didn't deserve it We need to humble ourselves. We need to let Jesus be our model. We need to speak before it's too late. We must come before winter in the area of fixing broken relationships. And we need to come before winter in the area of neglected relationships, not just broken relationships. If there's there's a relationship as a Christian, if there's a broken relationship, we are obligated to go and fix that, to do everything we can to fix it but also neglected relationships. I think some of the greatest pain in life comes from things not said. I have sat with people um, following a funeral, following a death, and listened to their laments as they have told me the things they wish they had said to their husband or to their wife or to their kids or to their parents before they died. We need to pay close attention to the relationships that are closest to us. And and, and maybe this message this morning would be a wake-up call that we need to come before winter, that that we we need to make sure that the people closest to us know that we love them and know that we care about them and know that we have forgiven them and know that we are proud of them. We need to come before winter in those relationships. I shared with you last year that uh, in the car, it's actually the car that Donna is driving, uh, it has uh, an, a different kind of oil meter. And it may be your car, maybe cars have had these for years, but it's the first car I've had that's been like this. My other cars, when the oil needed to be changed, there was a little light that came on that said oil or something like that. And so you knew it was time to go. Uh, but this car is a little different. And so when it gets close to time to change the oil, there is a little, there's, there's a little sentence that pops up there on the screen that says that your oil life is at 10%. And then it will say 9% and 8%. You'll see it count down. And if you, if you don't change your oil, not that I've ever failed to do that on time, but if you don't change your oil, once it gets to zero, then it starts counting up in miles. And so when you crank the car, it'll say, your oil life expired 215 miles ago. <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta make that go away before you can drive the car. And then the next time, 240 miles, 216. And it, it, it's just, it has a running record of your failure as a responsible adult. <laughs> what if, what if our relationships had the same kind of meter? What would it say in your marriage? Would it say that you've gone 300 miles too far without sharing your love 
without forgiving, without embracing? What, what about your relationship with your parents, your children, your sister? See, we need to come before winter in broken relationships, but we need to come before winter in the, in the area of neglected relationships. Too many of us have too many important relationships that have been neglected. Let me talk to you as the, as the funeral guy uh, for just a moment. I know I'm out of time, but just, just bear with me this morning. But let me talk to you as, as the funeral guy. I do a lot of funerals, uh, like, like all pastors. I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals. And, um, and so you learn some things after a while. When it comes to writing a funeral message, and some of you probably have done this, you've written a funeral message. There, there's really just one thing that matters. There's just one thing. I mean, you sit down with the family and you get some memories that you can share. And, and hopefully as the person doing the funeral, you have some, a story you can share personal uh, but, but beyond that, there's really just one thing. It's sort of three things, sort of one thing. It, it's relationships. The only thing that really matters at that time is the person's relationship with the Lord, their relationship with their family, and their relationship with their friends. When somebody dies, there's really nothing else to say, nothing else to talk about. Because when it all comes down to it, that's all that really matters. Now, we invest our lives in so many things, and we neglect those relationships. And what a shame that we forget what's most important. I talked to Carol Lewis this morning and asked her permission to share this. I just thought it would be the perfect timing of illustration. Carol's husband, Gordon, many of you know or knew Gordon, died a couple of weeks ago. We had his funeral right here in this, in this room. Uh, Gordon, you may or may not know, was a very, very successful businessman. He was a bank president. And then after that, he uh, supervised bank presidents. Uh, he lived in Tupelo, and he had about 325 bank presidents uh, around the country that reported to him. He was sort of the president of the presidents. I don't know exactly what his title was, uh, but he was a very successful businessman. His advice was uh, consulted um, by, by business people and, and financial people uh, you know, across, across the country, very well-respected, received many accolades and, and, and promotions and, and titles. And it was just amazing some of the things that he was able to do. But you know what? We didn't talk about any of that two weeks ago. I, I don't even think it merited a footnote in my sermon you know what we talked about when we came here to remember Gordon? We talked about his love for the Lord, his love for his wife and his three children, and his love for his friends. I shared a little while, and Joe Max Green shared for a little while about his relationship with his friends. And you know why we never talked about all of the business achievements? Because at that point, none of it mattered. We waste our lives chasing things that when we get to the end, we're going to discover don't really matter. I want you to be successful at your career. I want you to work hard. I want you to be committed to excellence. Of course, we need to do all those things, but we must come before winter in the area of neglected relationships. Number four, very quickly, and just, just give me some grace on our time this morning. I, I want to do all four of these. Uh, we need to come before winter in full and final surrender. 
I read a, read a book, I couldn't find it this week, uh, so, so I'm just going off memory, but I read a book a few years ago that uh, the premise, if not the title of the book, was Stop Dating Jesus. You ever heard that? What in the world could that mean? Stop Dating Jesus. And, and here was the premise of the book. Let me explain it, because I, I think it... I think it fits, it'll help us to understand the importance of, of coming before winter in the area of a full and a final surrender. Uh, when I was dating my wife a bunch of years ago, 25, 30 years ago, when we were dating, uh, I really enjoyed spending time with her. I, I enjoyed us, the things that we, that we did, our activities. I enjoyed her company. I, I enjoyed us cooking together and going places together. And, and I really enjoyed spending time with her when she was just my date. Um, but the relationship was tentative. As any dating relationship is, uh, we, would, we would make tentative plans. And so, you know, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, somewhere every week, I would say, would you like for us uh, to hang out together over the weekend? And, and, and she would say yes or no or you know, whatever she was going to say. But we had to make plans every week. What's going to be our plan? Uh, our lives were still separate. There was my money and her money, my stuff, her stuff, my schedule, her schedule, my goals and dreams, her goals and dreams. And we maintained some freedom. Uh, we could have dated other people. Either one of us could have bailed on the relationship at any moment. It was tentative. We were dating. But then one day it just dawned on me. I don't want to date her anymore. I want to make this permanent. I want to make this official. I want to get married. And so I asked her to marry me and we got married and it became complete and it became permanent. You know, a lot of people are just dating Jesus. They have an affinity for the things of God. They like to come worship. They have Christian friends that they like to hang around. Maybe they even read their Bible and pray a little bit but it's still tentative. But there comes a time when you have to make a decision, when you have to get married. There comes a time when, when, when you have to have, to have a, a full and a final surrender, when you have to say, now's the time. I'm not just gonna play with this anymore. Maybe I've been going to church for weeks or months or years, but, it, but here's where I draw the line. Jesus has died for me to pay the penalty for my sins, and I wanna fully and finally surrender to him. I was thinking this morning, and I've never asked Donna this question, but um, I don't know how much longer she would have continued to date me had I not asked her to marry me. Um, and I don't know how much longer the Lord will tarry with you if you just continue to hold him at arm's length. We need to come before winter in the area of making a full and a final surrender to Christ. I'll tell you the thing that scares, maybe I'm saying more than I should, but I'll tell you the thing that just scares pastors to death, scares me to death, I'll just speak for me. It's that somebody would come week in and week out and listen to me preach for months or years, and then their life would come to an end and they would be unsaved. They'd spend eternity in hell. That's, I'm, this isn't just preacher talk. That scares me to death. I know when God moved me from Ohio to here, I, those last two or three Sundays at my last church, I just looked down. Of course, I don't know anybody's heart, but my heart just was just broken because there were just people I wasn't sure about. And not that it's up to me one way or the other, but I mean, I, I, if you're somebody who has been dating Jesus, 
would you make a full and a final surrender? Um, l- listen to some verses from Proverbs, and these aren't on the screen. I just thought of this this morning. Uh, but these are the verses that God used to help me make that final decision. I'm not going to have a lot of comment. Let me just read them. Proverbs 1, like begin in verse 23. If you want to mark that down and read them later, you can. It says, if you respond to my warning, then I will pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. If you'll respond to my warning, I'll pour out my spirit on you and teach you my words. Since I called out though and you refused, I extended my hand and no one paid attention. Since you neglected my counsel and did not accept my correction, I in turn will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you down like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when trouble and stress overcome you, then you will call on me, but I will not answer. Then you will search for me, but you will not find me. We need to come before winter in the area of making a full and a final surrender to the Lord. Several years ago, Don and I had the opportunity to go to uh, Murano, Italy. Am I saying that right? Murano? Or I don't know. It's where they make all the fancy glass. And it was a fascinating thing to watch those glass smiths uh, heat up that glass. And it would be so malleable, so formable. And, and so they would blow on it or blow into it. And they would make all kinds of animal shapes or make all kinds of shapes of glasses or vases. Or, it was just amazing it, that, that they, could just, uh, they could just whip that around and make all these. It was just incredible. They could make, they could make it anything. But then they would set it to the side and, and it would cool down. And in just a, a minute or two. It would go from being so shapeable, that's probably not a word, but so formable, so, so changeable to cooling down and being completely impossible to change. You can't go home and you know, roll up some glass up into your hands and form it into a different shape. It would just, it would just shatter. And, and so when it's, when it's red, white, hot, it, you could form it in any shape, but when it cools down, it is... It is going to be what it's going to be. There are times in our lives when we are like that red hot glass and we can respond to the Lord and Lord can do great things in our lives. But if we let the opportunity pass, we will cool off and we will harden and it'll be difficult, if not impossible, for there to be real change in our lives. Let us be people who come before winter. Just so your head bowed and eyes closed. I hope the Holy Spirit, my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would identify the area in your life that you need to come before winter. And it may be something entirely different than anything I've mentioned. In fact, I told our prayer group this morning that the Lord has identified something in my life and it has nothing to do with the three or four things I've mentioned but I, I just, it's as clear as could be the Lord wants me to come before winter in that area. Don't postpone obedience to the Lord. I'm going to be standing down here as we sing. I'm going to ask uh, Caleb, I think he's still in the room, uh, to come down and stand with me as well. And Mark is here. Uh, if you need to respond, we're here for that. Come and let us respond. Father, help us right now to come before winter in whatever way 
that your Holy Spirit has challenged us. We're so thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross that makes our forgiveness possible, that we can respond. Let us honor that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.